2: this is one hate minute
1: drop of a hat these guys will rock and roll what's your name Wayne Grove. look like gang bangers working the local 7-eleven of you
2: robbie homicides take me give me all you got this is. give me all you got i do what i do best it takes course. You do what you do best. I'm to stop guys like me. A podcast dedicated to all 170 minutes of Michael Mann's LA crime opus, Heat, one minute at a time. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to One Heat Minute. I'm your host, Blake Howard. And joining me for the 113th minute of Michael Mann's 1995 crime opus is a guy who is here counting... About 88 episodes ago. (laughs) So, before I get an introduction, 88 episodes ago, this guy was on the show. He is a film and book critic, an entertainment journo. He's uh, in a variety of news publications, um, all up and down the eastern seaboard and and, and sort of uh, of Oz. Um, He's on a stack of radio, all uh, uh, in both melbourne and in sydney and regional areas like the central coast um, of new south wales he's on the mhm pod network and uh he's he's a friend of the show you've heard him twice before he did two minutes before we've got him back for his third appearance welcome back mr shane a Bissett, sir (laughs) Welcome back! Oh wow,
3: well, I loved my introduction when I first joined you, but that one is—it's just exceeding it. And I can't <laughs> believe the infancy of the uh, your like beautiful podcast when I did my first few minutes, and now look, here we are at 113.
2: I didn't believe. I I probably thought we were going to fall off at 50. No <laughs> way, not
3: with you, not with you steering the ship. I know, I know how good you are, Blake. Oh
2: mate, you're too nice. Shane is also. Literally one of the great nice guys um, in 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 this biz, um, and has been super encouraging and supportive to me in the project. So, mate, thank you very much. I wanted to say that on the show again. Uh, and behind the scenes, um, I've been really blessed with uh, just phenomenal people who've been on the show and who have continuously checked in and um, been supportive. And 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 I, I couldn't thank you enough. But right now, I've got you here for so your first minute. You know we talk about we talked about the famous chicken leg scene, <laughs> that's, and
3: that we did, and that got brought up to me quite often well that's I good really Shane
2: did. Shane told me when catching up about this appearance, he was like, people have brought up the chicken leg moment, I like, guess it's a good minute like it's a real good minute it's he's he's wielding the chicken leg, but just now. In the frame, so if you're watching, just as a reminder to all you folks out there who might be watching Heat on iTunes or Amazon Prime um, or on random DVDs, whether they're Warner Brothers releases, the you know original release, special editions, you're in the United States, you're in Oz, I'm watching the Warner Brothers special edition Blu-ray and on the Warner Brothers special edition Blu-ray right now at one hour and 52 minutes even on the dial is just as Robert De Niro's Neil McCauley and Chris Healey's um, played by Val Kilmer are making their part of the fleeting escape from this high scene. So we're in the um shopping center car park, bullets are flying, people are hiding behind shopping trolleys. This phenomenal extra um of an old of an older woman is like nursing her neck, you know, like it's much like you have said an off-color joke, you know, she's feeling offended. It's this beautiful bit of acting you're just missing. And instead of wielding a chicken leg, Al Pacino's wielding an assault rifle. So we, uh, we've gone from a chicken leg to an assault rifle. That's where we are um, for the 113th minute.
3: He's, he's holding it just as firmly as he did, that chicken leg. He's holding it in his right hand and, and steady, but also while he's running, he's, he's got control.
2: The safety was not on the chicken leg, is what I hear. <laughs> so what we're gonna do is Shane and I. You guys know the drill. You know, you know, you know the discipline. Um, we are going to watch one minute of Michael Mann's 1995 crime opus heat together right now. It's it's a sprawling one. There's lots of different scenes. Pace. It's 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 frenetic. We're gonna watch this together. You guys are gonna listen along. We're going to come back and talk about it. And unlike our last minute, which was quiet and contemplative, um, when I cut to the minute, you might just want to quickly, I'm going to just give you a little pause when I edit this, just to dial down the volume because uh, this the EQ in your speakers or in your headphones is going to blast up with some beautiful onset recorded assault rifle fire just for a few seconds. Um, so your head might get blown off slightly, but uh, then we'll be back uh, to talk all about it. with
0: the Get them down, down, down! There, out of the way, out of the way. we go
2: that's it <laughs> that's it i love good that's- extra i love good extra work firstly let's just say number one good extra work is like often hard to find in a sprawling epic where things you know there's so many moving parts but like i just want to commend there's a background actor who was working in this movie who's she she's in it's like the 23rd second of this minute Um, De Niro jumps into the car after he's already thrown Chris into the car the boot's still open and he hits the gas and reverses but smashes into the car behind him and pushes another car into oncoming traffic to escape the car park like he won't be stopped in this moment and she's trying to put her shopping in that car and she just does this amazing like just D- d- demonstrates the pure terror of gunfire still going off around them and someone doing that. And she's like hiding on the ground, covering her eyes like, Oh my God, I'm going to get shot. I don't want to yeah. look at him. And I just think there's like, she's, she's sort of lying. It's, it's a all more egregious because she's like lying down in the bottom, sort of lower half of the right hand side of the frame, 29 <laughs> seconds in. And I just look at her. I'm like, that is exactly how you would react with that much noise. It is so deafeningly loud. It is insane.
3: Yeah, and of course it would have caught her by surprise in a way because she'd already put some of the uh, shopping into the
2: back into the car, of the car, yeah,
3: yeah, which you can actually see. And the impact of De Niro reversing into the other car, flaying around and then going back into gear to go forward, some of her shopping actually stays in the car and, in. and it's hanging out at the back <laughs> even when he pulls off in, in such a high Speed. Um, It's very good packing from her, I must say. Good shopping packing. Some
2: some of the greatest shopping packing we've ever seen in in a heist film. My question is, Shane, is there anything in that shopping that De Niro takes for himself? Is there anything in there? Is there a cheeky packet of Doritos that he just plucked out of there, got a bit peckish after the Jeremy uh, (laughs) Piven doctor's visit? I don't Just know like if it would
3: be food. It'd maybe he might if he had a spare like two seconds to look for some kind of medical stuff that he could uh, give that's... to Val Kilmer. Some, I don't know, some painkillers, but a, I don't think a he'd worry too wine, much about
2: food. a bottle of wine or something like that to give him something, liquor him up before they go to the doctors.
3: That's true. He, it, that's the only thing I think he'd really be looking for. and. It's funny you mentioned the extras because you're right. This is a huge scene for extras. And you see people running for cover in the foreground and the background. You see some peeping over shopping trolleys. Some are holding their ears. Others are holding their eyes. So they're all worked in tandem, obviously, to get it right. It's amazing.
2: Yeah, there's there's just in this um, – the frame at 38 seconds into the minute, there's – a woman in the right in the center of frame with heels who's like covering her ears you've got a you've got a chorus of people hiding behind shopping trolleys people running out of the way i i think you're so right about you you really need when you're orchestrating this and this is like a the craftspeople in a film not just the directors but you know the 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 first and second ad's who are on set just directing traffic and get making the movement and the tapestry of all these people work and work kinetically like they have real clear instructions and they need to go in and execute because the actors have got their whole other sets of instructions that they need to execute. And yeah. so in these scenes, it's like you can't just have everyone doing the same thing. You know, you just, when you think about it, it's like, I need you madame to stand here and cover your ears. And I need you three to be running. and I need you six to be hiding over here behind the trolleys. I need you all to be doing something slightly different. And a couple of you, I need to run around. And so it's that, it's that sort of – what do you call it? It would be like just like um, – It's all that, coordinated. That, yeah, like coordinated chaos. The chaos yeah, by the coordinated design. coordinated chaos. The chaos by design, right? That's that's what's so, so cool about this one. And and, then, and
3: that moment where you've got him and he's just as Al Pacino's running around, mm-hmm. if you look at that uh, on his right, he's about to run past it. It looks like an emergency vehicle. I could be wrong, but – Looks like there could already be ambulance people or emergency services on the scene without knowing.
2: It does look like that, but I actually think it's um the way that the windows up, it looks like almost like a lunch truck or something as well. So there's multiple okay. trucks there yeah. in the background. I'm like, Oh, is that like a lunch truck? Because if it was, people are certainly not <laughs> eating at that lunch truck right now, or they got more than they bargained for um today <laughs> at the at the local supermarket. But it's it's um it's it's Al Pacino running, like um, running forward, like full pace, sprinting around the corner in his lovely suit, um, and and he around.
3: swaps hands too with the gun in that scene. Yes, which is the first time I've actually seen swapping hands in, yeah. with the gun.
2: And he's and he's swapping in that frantic opening seconds. We'll go back to it in just a second. In those frantic opening seconds. Um, uh, he's He's just trying to get people out of the way and get wield the gun in any way that he can um but you know Neil has done the right thing and just fired so so sort of callously through throughout the crowd just just spraying yeah. that chaos that he can't take a shot without potentially injuring someone innocent and that's this is where you you know we talk about the flip side of the coins for these two guys many times in the show. And I think it's just it's it's the the this kind of scene is one where I go, no, Neil's like a sociopath, <laughs> like you know, there's there's no when when his hey, guys are, when are his you, guys listen, when I've his guys down, mean, yeah, when I've his guys you down it's that over.
3: Before. You definitely mentioned that before, and I've never thought of it that way. But he is a sociopath, and it's all about him and him only.
2: Yes, and he, out of there, and his people. So, like, Val Kilmer is his people, but none of these people at the supermarket are his people. Let's go back to the beginning for a second. We're at um, about, like, 41 seconds after. It's, like, 40 seconds of the minute is just this crazy escape, but there's still so much, like, that's happening. Um, there's still much, so much that's happening around the corner. Vincent is, what's so cool is, like, we're about six, five, six seconds. And he's literally, anyone who's standing, he's like grabbing them and throwing them to the ground in the opening of this minute. He's like, get...
3: Instinctly, he's, it's an instinctive thing that he's doing. Yes. And Al Pacino as an actor is doing this all on his own. Yes. There's no stunt double. And he is really physically in this role doing yeah. this, these moments. It's, it's amazing.
2: Yes. And, and then he's taking cover and watching all the chaos happen. And he's like, get down, get down. (laughs) There's people jumping up. He's like, move, get
3: down. I know. And the thing is, he doesn't realize what's behind him. That's a big barbecue store, right? Yes. So, you're going to have a lot of flammable things in that store. If there's a (laughs) random bullet that goes into a gas tank or something in that store, it's going to blow.
2: It's going to go. Everything's going to go up. It's, yeah, and and
3: there's there's heat beads out the front. There's Weber barbecues, <laughs> like they anything. Deflections could set up anything in that store. It's it's a real, uh, I don't know. It's it's sort of like a t- ticking time bomb. If a random bullet gets into that store,
2: and and he's trying to throw people down, and by the time the chaos happens, this is where Neil's again. This crew is good. Neil so quickly is in that car is. Ray, like, you know, Val Kilmer's already done one rage reverse out of a driveway that we've seen in this movie, <laughs> but Neil, like, assertively rage reverses out of this out of this car park and is f- streaming down the street, now in a car that's untrackable. And so you get that moment, like, in so many other... I don't know whether it's that crazy archetype of, like, in so many... It's probably the lethal weapon archetype, where, you know, Riggs will just run after the guy in the car. Like, and somehow... That foot chase, he's going to make it. Never but, give up. But but that the authenticity of this movie, which is great, is that Vincent has to do a less than five second sp- like calculation in his mind that the threat for the people on the ground there is no longer Neil. Right. Neil in that car now is not going to hurt anyone else. But you can still hear gunfire, yeah, crackling across the way echoing through those streets and so the threat is still immediate it's still there for all those people on the ground and and that's where he's going to go next it's not oh
3: it's yeah it's it's almost the 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 crowd don't know it's over though No, so there's still going to be the chaos there but that car that uh neil steals is a ford mercury i know (laughs) now they went out of business about 2011 or so, I think. And they were considered a kind of a, a, a lower-level, mid-level luxury car. So that would have power.
2: It's got and some power.
3: It's got power. So it's going to get them out of there. And like you said, that the lady who um, was the extra that did the little roll and after putting some of her shopping in <laughs> and covering, she would have wanted that kind of power in a car. You know, she could have been a parent. She's had a lot, She had a whole shopping trolley full of stuff there. So I think Neil picked right when he grabbed the Mercury.
2: Yeah, he he was he, it, it was a dual choice. It was firstly I need something that's got the most cover, uh, and I need something that's big enough for me to just throw uh, throw Chris and uh, what was it, one third of thirteen million dollars? you know yeah. sorry like two thirds of thirteen million dollars. Two
3: thirds. So uh, uh, and and Chris had his head down and he was in agony the whole time. So. Just to get him in that back seat, you needed a big bucket seat, which it had, <laughs> so that was perfect.
2: Seat. Ford Mercury, for all of your heist escape needs. <laughs>
3: hey, this is one heat minute. I'm
2: trying to take <laughs> note
3: of absolutely everything here.
2: No, uh, Shane, number one, I super appreciate it. Anyone who's bringing the level of detail <laughs> um, to the to the bucket seats in the Ford Mercury, I Absolutely love it, um, but but also you know again that's a that's a, a great little bit of um, business that the movie's done is because he's picking a car that's got power to get away. And that's right, it, and it authentically looks like it's you know he's flying down that street by the time it cuts out of frame. Like we right now, I'm flash paused on you know, gritted teeth of Pacino, Vincent Hanna about to run around the corner to sort of go and stop, um, the other, the other carnage. And he's sort of is saying, Neil and, and, and Chris, you know, riding off into the sunset, so to speak, but he's just like, they're too far gone.
3: Yeah. Now when he does head off in that car, he's going straight. That's when we last see him. And if you look down the street a bit more, there's a, there's a police car there with flashing lights. So whether there's either policemen in the car or they've left the car there with the lights on, um, he's going to have to make a decision there as well, whether to go
2: forward or turn. Well, let's have a look, because I think, I thought that as well, but when I was looking at this just recently, I think it's a tow truck. So if we just have a look.
3: It's down on the right?
2: Yes, it's a, it is. It's it's a tow truck. In the in the bottom right of frame, thirty four seconds. It's a yes. tow truck because you can see the mangle of that, like uh, the winch uh, on the back. Okay, and I thought yeah. that too because I'm like, oh god. And it's just there's only one um, little bit of movie making magic here that you can that is sort of distracting. If you if you're one of those crazy boffins who needs it, <laughs> is that um, right now the traffic lights are turned off. So this is part of the closure of the streets. They've closed yeah. the streets down. The traffic lights are off. Um, in this moment, even, and all the cars are, are placed there, very ta- ta- tactically.
3: Oh, the cars coming the other way are very tactically, um, they're in place yes. pretty much where to go. And also, there's a sign on the left that has flat rate parking, $3, which <laughs> is pretty cheap <laughs> in L.A. And that must be for the shopping centre patrons, Uh, I guess.
2: It is. It is. Three bucks. That's not bad. How long (laughs) is that for? Is that an hour? It's good. It's flat rate. Flat rate. That's it. That's it. Three bucks. That is quite good.
3: That car that they reverse out and push out, does it worry you that it would move so easily? Do you think the handbrake wasn't on or... Uh, it just seemed to roll really easily.
2: I, ju- I just think that he's, as you said, if it's a luxury car and yeah. they're so close, he'd push that push that handbrake straight off. He's hitting that with full reverse That's acceleration, yeah. and he's hit it so hard that he's he flings it around, but it, w- it wouldn't surprise me if the handbrake's off. You know, someone might have just gone in there. I just can't imagine it now, like, in 2019, not putting your handbrake on. Like, what's wrong with you people? Come on. <laughs> yeah. $2 yeah. after $2 after 4pm on saturday and sunday park and lock $3 flat rate wow not bad not bad right in downtown la that's probably a building now after 95 no one's getting away with a $3 f- flight rate parking uh, structure <laughs> anymore in LA. I
3: don't think so. And you can tell these are actual locations because of the shops, because of the just the the f- surroundings and the, the footpaths around. They're being well-worn. It's not just made for a set.
2: No. Yeah, like you said, there's something about the texture. There's something about the texture of LA downtown here. The, it, it, that That is just effortless. I want to just point out, because we're now like 40 seconds in the minute, that, that, that if you go really slow here, if like you put it in super slow motion between like the 41st second and the 42nd second, <laughs> you can see Tom Sizemore stick his tongue out of the side of his mouth when he's jumping. Like he's yeah. like, ah. It's such a weird thing um that he does and it's such a that's a seismorism because he can't fake you know he's carrying this massive pack and an assault rifle and he's jumping um through through the la la town here and he's got uh, i love the little blood spatter from where he got shot through the bus stop and here we are Oh, I mean, I,
3: I saw that too. His tongue just sort of nicks out of his mouth real quickly as he's lifting his leg up to jump over the step.
2: Yes, yes.
3: And, and he's carrying, you know, a fair bit of weight around his stomach himself. He's not totally a fit guy at the moment in this scene, and no. he's wearing like dress shoes and a suit. You try to run in that? Yeah. In I mean, look,
2: bag. look, look. As a person who has quite an affinity for running, um, yes. I I. I I can't imagine <laughs> I can't imagine running with that big ass bag like it's huge, and Kilmer has to break it down. It's heavy. It's it's um, the what's there's a great contrast from earlier on in the heist that we saw Shane of everything the 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 sort of sprint and stop burst um, sort of I want to call it a crawl. Because they're they're not they're not they're going from point to point in the heist and and to cover point to cover point, so it's sort of like a crawl. But that surge yeah. that they're doing, um, y- you feel like the pace is so fast here. But once they get out of that like hellish chaos sequence, once they're out of there, you see how hard it must have been to just even be bearing that weight and running as fast as they were and taking all the cover they were because now that the it's all sprawling and it's opened up, he's under threat because he can just be caught. Like, he can't sprint with that thing forever.
3: No, not at all. And when you um, see him come out and go straight towards where there's people sitting and having their coffee and lunch. Yeah. He's going straight like a football player. He's just heading straight. Anything in his way,
2: he's going to just he, – he, like, he barrels over yeah. a woman and like it, 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 just the second – we're looking currently at the frame at 49 seconds into this minute, but like literally there's a woman who's walking out and she's sort of deer in headlights. Uh, there's one lady deer in headlights who sees him with the assault rifle and doesn't really know what to do, and he barrels her over, runs over another woman. He's just going, you know, shortest distance to get there. Um, you get a you get a flash in the 52nd second of Michael T. Williamson, and uh, and Wes Studi. Wes Studi's still got his assault rifle. Michael T. had the double barrel shotgun, so he's just discarded that somewhere along the street, along the along the way, and he's just holding his pistol. Um, and they're they're sort of coming up, but they're keeping their heads down and and again, similarly trying to navigate like Vincent did through the bit of the carnage in the cast with the people to kind of get him,
3: yeah, and the the moment with the child coming up,
2: yeah, it is, yeah, so we're it's <laughs> this is a great is a great minute for slow motion.
3: I'm loving it too because I am I did exactly what you're doing now I did over and over and I'm watching this <laughs> splash as he swan as, dives into as, this very, very shallow little pool.
2: As his very glaringly different looking stunt double takes a dive into this pool shape. I thought you'd notice that. Uh it's so good! It's it's one of those moments. Like it, it's a, it happens in an upcoming Henry Rollins scene. It happens in this scene. There's like one or two sequences where a stunt double is very glaring. Right now, it is this. But you know, he, you know, for for all of the running and jumping and leaping, Tom Sizemore wasn't going to be the guy that fell straight flat on the on here um, onto tiles carrying all this stuff. They probably didn't want him to get even further, you know, battered um, in this sequence. But right now. We're not getting quite up to the, the moment that you're talking about, Shane. But what I love from a perspective of just pure visual storytelling is you've got this bullocking, you know, in, in Australian sport parlance, front row forward, blocker roach, like smashing people. He doesn't care. He's just running over them, over every person here. And so we already know that this crew is pretty gnarly. We already know that Michael is, you know, the action is the juice. We haven't really seen, and, and we know that Michael will, will take an order and execute someone on, at the drop of a hat. Like, he's he's yeah. got no problem to do it. But we really don't get the depths of his character's nastiness until the next minute. But what what's even scarier here is that Michael does a calculation where... You can see his eyes, 57 seconds. You see children slowing down and you see him trying, where is my next tactical advantage? He's
3: navigating as you, as he's running and just thinking what can he do because there's probably about 150 things going through his mind right oh. now, but the only, only thing he's going to be focused on is that little girl
2: and, and that's that so, makes the audience so, dread. So when you are following his scan... And in all this chaos, we've seen them run over people, do this and that. There's plenty of opportunities to grab a human shield, so to speak. Like, there's plenty of opportunities to grab a hostage. But the fact that this guy's, like, scanning, takes a beat, and, you know, this is the family man with the two daughters. He literally runs for a girl who looks like a girl who could be his daughter. Yeah. He runs directly for her. And so this unceremonious splash as he falls down before he goes over you've already got the inclination of what is about to happen. And, you know, I think that um, that's what kind you of... Do you
3: think he's thinking that, though, that it is, he's referring back to his daughter in his own mind? No.
2: I think. Uh, I think this is where, like, full tilt... Madman. Yeah, full tilt sociopath madman, like, he's in the job, the action is the juice. You know, he's in the frenzy of, like, I don't care, I'm going to do anything to stay alive. Like I don't care if other he clearly doesn't care if other people die, like <laughs> he just no. just and I think in this point it's like you know this whole crew of sociopaths really um and Michael's sort of bordering on a bit of a psychopath they all they're all kind of got this outlook that it's you know Neil's so much more calculating we we can we only have to do the contrast of what Neil did, which is Neil's orchestrating chaos to cause a frenzy to get it out of there because he's. more tactically smart than michael and michael could totally have just like gotten his gun and fired above all these people caused more chaos and tried to make his way to the next thing but he's a more nasty guy and the more nasty i guess the way that i read it is the nastier guy is looking for self-preservation at all costs and is he's not as big picture he's like he's usually the guy who's getting orders so he's just running sing you know with singular Pursued in mind and then he sees this kid and that's the real nastiness comes out
3: yeah he's the loose cannon of the crew and that just keeps on going and going and going with him until the bitter end he is the more unpredictable one out of neil's crew big time yeah
2: i think about him a lot and the scene and and it comes up in another minute uh, where we talk a little bit about his wife Elaine and her reaction to what what's about to go down. Um, but, you know, Neil's like... If if Neil is emphatic with anyone in his crew that it's a bad idea for them to do this heist, it's to him. There's a, an amazing interplay between Sizemore and De Niro, but the performances are just electric. And... And he's saying you shouldn't do this there's no reason if you followed the discipline of working with me that you need to do this heist you have enough money even the even the risk of the amount of money you're going to gain for this heist is inconsequential to your setup because you've done the right thing you've been looked after you've looked after your money you've invested you've legitimized the ill-gotten gains and you're good and so you've got to think that as we're watching him sort of bark orders and threaten people with death and do all that stuff, this is where you get to like his his programming. He needs he's, he needs to be satiated with this this chaos. Like he needs this in his life, like the opportunity to you know lay waste to Van Zant drivers or murder a um, a poor armored car truck guy or kill a whole bunch of cops, um, but. You know, this guy's a, a nasty piece of work, and even though he's, he's...
3: doing it for the thrill, obviously, by turning down that option to get out. Uh, that was a riveting scene, like you just mentioned. That is a real acting highlight, a bit of a showcase that, between...
2: He, he should just... Tom Sizemore should just tape that, and that's the, that's the acting reel. After, you do, that, the reel, after exactly. you do that, that's the acting reel. It's like, this is what I can do. I can be <laughs> cheeky, I can be charming, I can be funny, and I can be super intense, and I can stand in front of really great actors and not be intimidated.
3: You know, I've always liked him in, in particular, but even in his struggles personally, which got him almost kicked out on, off lots of movies and other opportunities just dried up. Overall, I've always liked him, not even just in thug roles, but if he's got a bit low, more low-key roles or cameo appearances, small roles in films. He's he's He could have been anything, and that's proof here how he just uh, bounces off De Niro in that particular scene and here how, how dedicated he is to, to running and getting through. Like I said, and he's a football player in this, <laughs> and you called him Blocker Roach. There's no <laughs> other way to describe it. <laughs> He's so, on a mission. He's on a New South Wales Blues mission.
2: <laughs> so, to all American listeners, I have no clue what blocker roach is. We have a sport here called rugby league, um, and and that we have forwards as you guys. Uh, let's say like offensive and defensive lineman uh, dimensions, um, but uh, with less padding um, is is probably what I would say. And there's a famous eighties footballer who's this big blocky guy, and he got the nickname. Australians do this, Blocker Roach. Um, <laughs> so um, so we, we do this. He's like a block. So that's how he got the nickname. Um, and, uh, and yeah, that's, that's what he reminds me in this scene, especially because of the way that he deals with people in this scene. You know, Chris and Neil are avoiding running into people because it's like the, the path less traveled, right? Like, like try and be efficient. Try not to have to take a hit. But Michael's so much more like he still feels like he wants to hurt people. Like, even though he needs to be getting the hell away from this scene right now. Like, he needs to get out so that he can make it, you know, so he can be alive <laughs> at the end of this movie. Yeah. And and right now, um, we're just watching him sort of kicking and screaming and it's nearly done for him.
3: Do you think there was an ever, ever an option for him to dump the money or throw some of it? and to, to help his cause lighten up the load a little I think so it could be more agile or not?
2: I think that's a fantastic question because it goes exactly to what we were just talking about. If the guy has all the money and it's not for that and it's just the action, he could have probably ditched the money and just tried to run, like make himself more agile.
3: To survive. Yeah,
2: but I just don't think he's big picture guy. And that just tells me even more that he's not big picture guy. Yeah. Because, you know... It's it's that it's it's where his selfishness or whatever you call it, like that self preservation, where that kicked in and he didn't follow Neil. That's that 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 broke up that trio and that eventually caused Chris to get shot. Yeah. Anyway, because he didn't he didn't follow the the, the system, their system. So yeah, no, it's a great question. He should have ditched it. Like, you know, that's like, oh, well, if you ditch that extra, let's say, 20 kilograms or, you know, for our American friends, like 50-pound bag that he has slung over his shoulder, that's a, that makes that run through the streets and navigating through and slipping away much easier, much easier.
3: Yeah, and, you know, he's about to have a heavier load by picking up the child. I <laughs> know as well. I mean and he has no idea that Vincent is basically a snake like moving <laughs> in real co- covertly. He hasn't got a clue about that yet. He's about to find out. So in his own mind, I think he should have dumped the money and not picked up the child and then just gone
0: Yeah,
2: because it wouldn't it, have he wouldn't have even been led to the child had he not been weaving through there, you know. He he wouldn't have needed it because picking up the child and grabbing a human shield is is last de- if it's you know it it just reeks of last last stand. I have no more options. Yeah, and he looks knackered. You know, right now I've got fifty seven seconds in. His tongue's hanging out of his mouth again as he's jumping and running up and uh, through this place. But it's just yeah, I think it's like last stand stuff. He's he's done. He's he's not. He's not going to be in a good spot after this.
3: No, even if he did survive, I think that this would be his last heist. Oh. Even if he did escape, he wasn't going through any of this again. Uh, even for loyalty to Neil, I don't think I could
2: see him. I don't think Neil uh, would have gone with him. I think no. it's, I think the the story is different, Shane. I think it's he still goes out and tries to do cowboy scores, and Neil's like, I don't want this cowboy. You broke <laughs> you broke the ranks, Chris. Chris has a. There's a more special place in Neil's heart. And yeah, well,
3: that's obvious from the beginning, and uh, I really like their moments together too. Is Neil's going to get him into that car? He's going to try his best to get to save him, no matter what. He's doubling up. He's got the weight too from the bag, and he's dragging a wounded friend.
2: Yeah, but the 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 dedication is then to the crew, to his crew, and to Chris. Whereas yeah. it, you, the you know, it's so funny. We just watched Neil do anything that he could to carry himself and two bags of money because it was two bags and chris like so two well, his bag and chris's bag and to drag Chris along to save him and that is more about it it, it still has those echoes of self preservation because you know if Chris gets flipped or found out or whatever you know th- there's a whole there's a whole potential risk there but I think what's really good is that we see it completely flipped in this scene or we're about to see it in the upcoming minute where you know Torito's not about trying to double back and help Neil with Chris he's about how do I bring someone who's a human shield like neil had no concept of like i'll just bring you know chris is going to die anyway i'll just like you allow him to be my shield and i'll take the pack and run like that was never in
3: his thoughts at all
2: no it would never have crossed his mind but here michael's that guy
3: yeah which is pretty sad considering the, the lead up and the camaraderie and the dinner that they had together with their partners and all that you know it's a bit of a shame that he did really reveal himself to be um somewhere not as loyal as what he was making out to be
2: yeah and i think also i think man does an amazing job of being unflinching with the fact that these aren't nice guys and we can empathize with them and we can empathize with their pursuits for family and and you know wishing that their crazy you know workaholism could be overcome or could find a balance with with families and and with those other commitments. But Well, I think
3: Neil might have once been a nice guy. Yeah, maybe. Now, it's just a little bit more um, inside his bubble, whereas Vincent, he must have been a nice guy. He got married four times.
2: (laughs) Three three, (laughs) three times, three times. Three times, sorry. The the, the fourth one's after this movie.
3: Yeah, so he must have been nice at some point for a short period of time to get married a few times. Yes. Um, especially to Diana Venora, who's just amazing. Yes. Um, but, yeah, when it comes to nice guys, you're right, Michael. man, he's no holds barred when it comes to really outlaying the characters' formidable sides as well as... A little bit of emotion here and there, but not too much, and that's what I like about all of them, including the females, including Ashley Judd's character.
2: She's great; she's so yeah. good. But and Diane Venora too. So cal- both both characters are calculating. They've got a lot of influence, you know. Our last our last scene, we you know we watch uh, we watched you know a bit of a, a conflict, a bit of an assault between a, a married husband and wife you know we see Vincent we after the original after the original heist um and you know he he's we, we saw both sides of him there you know he's that you know very loving husband sexy one, but when the jo- when he's on the job they're not his focus he's you know he's doing everything else to to stay on top of the game and right now he's sneaking up to get tactical advantage on this guy who's got his tongue sticking out in the fifty seventh second of this minute, um, ready, ready to sort of take him down. I think his
3: tongue's come out because he really is halfing and puffing. Oh yeah, he's working hard. It's not like Michael Mann. I'm not sure would have said, right now, stick your tongue out, nah, Tom. He's... We want to see your tongue, Tom. <laughs> I, I don't think I think he's actually running, except for that stunt double scene where I think Tom Sizemore wouldn't have hurt himself falling into that little. Um, splash pool like that. He would have been all
2: right. I think he would have been all right, but I also think that man would have had a concern of you carrying a. They were doing live fire.
3: Yeah, yeah, there was. That's
2: true. Holding holding a gun, maybe he couldn't be insured. And you know, you you just touched on it, but he's probably uh, not one of the more reliable people on set for uh, <laughs> for for um, poor behaviour. I think he actually left the set. Um, after this scene, still wearing the clothes, and went on a coke bender, um, according to uh, some sources. So, so um, yeah, he was—he was probably not in the best best place. But in the very last frame of the minute, we get the reverse shot. Like we we get to see this little girl stop dead, deer in headlights, looking over at him as he emer- as he's about to emerge re from the pool that he's just fallen into.
3: And we're seeing, again, a great use of extras in the foreground.
2: Yes. Like in the in a blur. So good. Screaming and that's path. a good
3: – like that is so good. That happens that we've already discussed, but I'm really glad that they've not just done some extras here and there to the left or the right of the screen. These are coming in your face fast, and that's what the – just perfect for this moment because you've got someone standing still and little in the background, and you've got two big figures – running
2: past and it's also it it sort of helps incite the panic right like you you would hope that people would see a little girl standing there and their first instinct would be to do something but the chaos of this heist has has got everyone going for self-preservation
3: and she the little girl has only just said mummy while there was someone running in front of her. And I would have thought maybe the lady in front who had two more children in front of her could have heard that and maybe just glimpsed around to her left or or right, but that didn't happen. And when the little girl runs down, she's actually looking to her left as well. Yes. Um, But she's she's come running from the right. So, I don't know whether that is just um, child acting or whatever, but...
2: Yeah, actually, you know what's funny is I think it looks like... It almost looks like a a school excursion or a class because there's one... There's six kids that run past and one teacher. And as you can sort of see, like, there's a lady in black, 55 seconds. She's sort of running and there's a couple of kids. And then our little character stops...
3: That's right, and the other the the female character keeps running. And now I would have thought she, the little girl, said "mummy." Am I right? I think she said "mummy." Yeah, lo- I think loud enough. For
2: may, maybe that. loud enough. Yep. Yeah, I, I, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go back and see if we can get it because this entire scene is loud, um, but I'll try and get just our our girl here.
3: I watched it about eighteen times.
2: <laughs> yes, fifty six, fifty seven seconds there, mommy. and she stops because she just That's sort right. of she just catches it.
3: So it, your um, thought of maybe a school group could be still correct because parents do. Go on some school groups, yeah, you know excursions and that.
2: They, they, um, they, they could, they could have been, they could have been, you know, in that. It just it, I've all, I like the reading that that's her mum because it's totally possible. But as I watched this minute over and over again, I just maybe it's because my daughter's you know been to daycare, but I just saw this like little little crew of kid kiddos and I I just was immediately like, oh, it looks like a daycare group. They're just that's that's to me anyway. I was like, oh, it looks like a daycare group out on an excursion or something like that.
3: That's what it comes across like, and yeah, they're running like everyone else. Whereas you know the, the innocence of a child, no matter what's going on around them, is really just going to be looking for someone familiar yes. rather than continuing to run. They're going to stop, no matter what's happening, just to, to stop and look around because that's an instinct of a child. Yeah. And it's just so set up so well. She's, I mean, you don't know what's happening behind the camera if anyone's coaxing her, but that scene—it's a solitary scene. She's so, she's on her own, and it's um a little bit hard to watch.
2: Yeah, in it's a re- way, it's really hard to watch, and especially in this frame. And I'm just looking at it as Shane and I are talking. Is behind the little girl, um, fifty-seven seconds in, you're seeing. Tom Sizemore and Michael Trito streaming across the grass before he gets to this little fountain. And everyone who's savvy enough that they've seen an automatic weapon, they're, like, taking cover on building pylons. There's, like, three people. Two of them are crouched and then one of them's standing and they're all doing it. Yeah. It's just th- these these little bit of extra details and business that, like, you, you really have to glare at the frame because it's so f- fast, but it's like... If If someone had an assault rifle or there were people running around with them, you know your first instinct is like "I just need to take cover and so w- looking at all the different varieties of that again, just for that texture and it gives gives this scene just so much on on rewatch value because there 's just no bad extras there's no m- no bad background actors everyone 's you know doing a whole mess of different things and then you know, the amazing Dante Simonotti and Man are sort of crafting the, the depth of field as we're going through this area and you're seeing things that are in crisp focus and then other chaotic blurs running around.
3: It's amazing because you've got two prominent tree fixtures there yes. and then in, in the, and then you've got in the back, like you said, those pylons that go right across more trees and people crouch down, like you said, and just taking cover. It's all happening.
2: It's all happening. It's and it's a beautiful little, you know, outside of a building that's now looking like a, you know, a sort of dark forest, you know, where people are hiding and crouching under things and anything that's in the open, people are sort of huddling around other things. But yeah, all all open area now, and uh, and this frame is just so scary because after you've watched this movie as many times as I have and I know as many times as you have, Shane, it's like there's such a. A deadly foreshadowing just in this still. This little tiny girl and a guy with a gun running towards her. It's just like, this isn't going to end well, no matter what.
3: No, and like I said, and we, we've seen it plenty of times, but it's always hard to watch.
2: Always. <sighs> so hard to watch. But what is not hard to do is to re-watch this movie over <laughs> and over and over again. And what is not hard to do is to have Shane... Come on to this show. Shane, thank you so much again for being a part of One Heat Minute. Thank you for your commitment um, to crazily researching every minute and obsessively pouring it over like we'd love to do on this show. And, mate, thank you so much for your support, encouragement, um, and, and your friendship uh, uh, for, for everything that you've done um, to help this show keep going uh, for, for a further 88 episodes since your last appearance.
3: it's incredible and look i'll just put it right back at you the dedication you've got on this project is amazing i know you're my friend but you're also just so talented and keep it up the the amount of different people you've got to speak to and i'm i'm sure more to come and it's an absolute privilege actually to be asked back on your show especially (laughs) like just just in general but back on your show because of this you know the hold up and the bank robbery—it's that's an important scene to this whole film. Yeah, so man. you've got you've got me in on a really you know major part segment of this movie, and I appreciate it,
2: mate. You saw we t- uh, wielding an assault rifle and wielding a chicken leg. <laughs> there is no two better bookends for your appearances on this show than those things. Um, and I hope that um, anyone who hits you up about being on the show again, they actually go, "Well, you got in the thick of the heist." You saw Pacino <laughs> with a gun, and now you also saw him wielding a chicken leg. So those two things, um, I'm 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 happy with. Uh, I'm very happy with how that's bookended your appearances on the show. But look, guys, uh, Shane is around at all those different publications that I've just told you about. Um, Shane is also uh, on Twitter. He is at movie underscore analyst. That's probably the best place to find you, mate. Or would you recommend other? Um, out uh, other websites or anything like that. What's what's the best place to find you besides the Twitter sphere?
3: Yeah, Twitter and Instagram. The same handle, Blake uh, at, at un, um, movie underscore analyst. Because I link all my red carpet interviews and photos and and anything movie related on those two outlets. So that's that's great.
2: Excellent. So follow Shane there. All the details will be on oneheatminute.com. Thank you all for listening so much, guys. Oneheatminute.com for everything. Mail at oneheatminute if you have any other great stories or insights or you think there's something that we've missed. um, We'd love to hear it. and, uh, And as I compile... Great contributions. Um, I, I will endeavor to sort of have a few ma- more mailbag segments as we're um, rolling into the show. Really looking forward to you guys listening to um, the the show here. Um, this episode, which is 113, uh, is going to be released around, um, you know, depending on what part of the world you're in, 13 or 14 of Jan. Um, and we are probably going to have the briefest of hiatuses after you hear this, um, um, after you hear the show. Uh, for for like a week or two um, because I'm about to go on a holiday with my family Um, but uh, when we come back um, we have uh, like Shane an absolute murderer's row continues um, of just incredible guests uh, and and episodes for you guys coming up so looking forward to sharing that with you so much but uh, we will catch you on another episode of One Heat Minute just around the corner thank you Shane and hopefully that minute we catch you around the corner on is not one where Michael Torito is running anywhere near <laughs> your children.
3: Uh, I hope not, mate, and the pleasure's all mine. And uh, are you sure you're not taking a break to watch Den of Thieves again?
2: <laughs> <laughs> Look, Shane, there is a Den of Thieves bonus episode of One Heat Minute coming to you guys as requested by the incredibly talented and prolific Katie Walsh, who you're going to hear up on the show as well, um, one of the reviewers for the LA Times. Uh, And uh, yes, we did a bonus episode of Den of Thieves. And I can tell you right now, I've said everything that I'll ever say about that movie (laughs) in one episode. I
3: saw uh, saw it theatrical. And, you know, the funny thing is I'm sitting there in a a theaterette, a film studio theaterette, watching it before release. And I couldn't stop thinking of you, Blake. I'm like, (laughs) Blake is going to have something to say when he sees this film. I personally did not did not hate it i thought it was okay but uh, i kept thinking of you and the scorn that you might give it like
2: well scorn i did indeed give it and i'm looking forward (laughs) to you all hearing that episode that will be um if this episode is the 113th episode uh the 122nd uh episode the 122nd minute of heat um is uh with katie walsh um and then after that episode airs, you'll hear our bonus in a Thieves episode, as promised. But um, once again, guys, thanks for listening to One Hit Minute. We'll catch you again soon.